to the Redemption Podcast. We hope you're blessed by today's message. For a word. We're going to be in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. We're going to start a, a new sermon series next week, but this is just a single message that the Lord put upon my heart that I wanted to share with you this week. When you have it, you can stand for the reading of God's Word. It says, For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you help me to minister this message. Tailor it, make it specific and intimate to every individual under the sound of my voice. Empower, enable, and strengthen me to deliver this message as you have delivered it to me. Lord, I take no ownership or authorship or credit because I know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Lord, we give you all the honor, all the praise, all the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Give the Lord some praise as you're seated. I want to preach to you today for a few minutes from the subject, the faith to start. I want to talk to you about how we can ensure that the vision God has implanted in our heart, in our minds, and in our spirit comes to pass in our reality. I want to talk to you about what we can do to ensure that what we see when we close our eyes becomes what we see when they're open. But the first question that I really need to ask you is, is there anybody here today that has a big dream? Is there anybody left in the house of God that still has a big dream, that still wants more, that's still reaching for something, that's still striving for something? I ask that because there's a lot of people in church today that don't want anything else. They're indifferent. They're apathetic. They're not really working toward anything or reaching for anything. They don't really desire to do anything. And it's really hard to work with people that are completely satisfied where they are. It's really hard to motivate people who are not hungry, who don't have an appetite, who are not longing to accomplish something in their life. So... I'm glad that you have a big dream. I'm, I'm glad that you have a big goal that you desire to achieve and to accomplish because I'm a dreamer. I am a dreamer. I have big plans. 
And I'm not sure that I'll ever accomplish everything that I desire to accomplish. But one thing's for sure, I'm going to chase it until I die. As long as there is breath in my lungs and strength in my body, I'm going to run with all of my might. See, a lot of Christians are running their faith race just to finish. But Paul actually said we should run like we want to be first, like we want to finish first. I'm running like I want to be the best preacher that's ever preached, ever. I'm running like I want to be the best pastor that has ever pastored any church. Now, I may not get there, but I'm a dreamer. And I desire to do a lot for the kingdom of the Lord. I want to leave a legacy. I, I want people to be impacted long after I'm dead and gone. That's what matters to me. So, I hope that you have a dream. Maybe you desire to pastor your own church one day. Some of you are going, no, I don't. That's okay, you stay here at this one then. Maybe you, de you desire to create a CD or to write a book or to start a business or to earn your degree or maybe you just want to lose the weight and get back in shape, but you got this big dream, this big goal. And sometimes when we have that big picture in our mind we get real excited we get filled with enthusiasm but then it's hard to figure out how exactly we're going to bring it to pass sometimes your goal is so expensive that it's difficult to find the motivation to do what you can because everything you can do seems so small that it doesn't feel like it moves you any closer to your destination it's almost like you're trying to drain a lake with a five-gallon bucket. Every time you go back to that lake and fill up your bucket, you look over that vast body of water, and it doesn't really feel like your efforts are paying off. It doesn't really feel like you're progressing. It doesn't feel like you're making a difference. So how do we do something big when we don't feel like we have the money, the education, the talent, the gift, the support to bring it to pass. How do we live out our dream when we don't even see a clear path from where we are to where we desire to be? How do we do something big? Because nobody starts their life saying, I want to do something small. I want to do something minuscule. I want to do something insignificant. No, when we're young and we're just starting our life, we want to do something big. When we first get saved, we're ready to charge hell with a water pistol. I'll take them on by myself. But as we live life, sometimes we lose that. So I want to answer the question for you today. How do you do something big? I want to clear any doubt that you may have and I want to encourage you by telling you exactly how you can do something big in your life. As I begin to unpack this question, as we begin to consider it, I want to take you back to a place in the Old Testament where the Babylonians had invaded Israel and destroyed everything. They demolished the temple, they tore down the walls, they burned the city, and they took most of the Jewish people into captivity. 140 years later, a remnant of the Jewish people returned in an attempt to restore and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. They had a sincere desire 
but they weren't having much success. At a certain point, God gives a man named Nehemiah a burden. A burden for the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah has this burden to restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He knows that a city without walls has no protection. A city without walls has no defense. A city without walls is at the mercy of the enemy. So he knows that if the city of Jerusalem is ever going to be rebuilt, they have to start with the walls. So he has this burden to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls. From this we learn that the burden God gives us often reveals the direction that he's leading us in. The burden that God gives us often reveals the direction he's leading us in. It reveals what he's called us to do. It reveals the path that he wants us to walk. So what is it that you have a burden for? Who is it that you have a burden for? What kind of impact do you want to make on your surroundings? What do you want to do for people? What do you want to change about this world? One thing's for sure, if you get close to the Lord, the Lord's going to give you a burden for somebody, a burden to do something, a burden to accomplish something. So what is your burden? Maybe you used to struggle with drug addiction. And now you have a burden to help others who are struggling with addiction be free from that bondage. Maybe you have a burden for men. And you know statistically speaking, 50% of men in the church view pornography on a monthly basis. Maybe you have a burden for men's ministry and you just want to do something to help men thrive in their relationship with the Lord. Maybe you have a burden for young mothers. Maybe you remember what it was like raising young children, how exhausted you were, how discouraged you were, and you want to do something to help them get on their feet. Maybe you have a burden for children who come from broken homes. Maybe you're well acquainted with the statistics of what their life may be like, and you want to do something to help them succeed. What is your burden? Whatever it is, it reveals to you the path that you have been anointed to walk. Your burden is essential a bridge that leads to your purpose. So don't ignore the burdens that God gives you because those burdens will lead to some of your greatest blessings. What is your burden? Nehemiah had a burden for the city of Jerusalem and that burden revealed his purpose to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The only problem was Nehemiah wasn't a construction worker. He had actually never did anything like that before. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. For those of you who don't know what that is, it was Nehemiah's job to stand next to the throne and sample the wine that the king was getting ready to drink. Nehemiah would sample the wine not to test its quality, but to ensure that it wasn't poisoned. If Nehemiah suddenly fell down dead, it told the king he should probably pass on that next glass of wine. That was what Nehemiah did. That was his occupation. That was his career. And God gives him a burden to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. God essentially gave Nehemiah a burden to do something that it didn't seem like he was capable of doing. 
Have you ever felt like Nehemiah? Have you ever felt like God has given me this big dream, but he hasn't given me the talent or the gifts or the education or the know-how to bring it to pass? God has given me the desire, but he forgot to give me everything else I needed. It's like me and singing. God gave me the desire to sing. I desire to sing probably more than anybody else in this church, but I can't sing. The Lord forgot to give me the talent and the gifts. I don't know what he was doing, but he got distracted somewhere along the way. I was supposed to be able to sing. Now, I'm not questioning the Lord. I'm just saying. He meant, no, I'm not. I'm not. He didn't mess up. He knew I couldn't sing. He knew I shouldn't sing because it would have been a distraction. I just sung. I'd have sung. I'd have been one of those preachers. You know how they do. They're preaching real good, and then they just bust out a, a chorus of a song. Just bust it. Yeah! I'd have been one of those. But I can't do that because it just comes across as funny when I do it and not anointed. So Nehemiah has this big goal that he seems so far away from accomplishing. So what does he do? He starts small. The first thing he does is he prays and asks God for favor in this endeavor. The first thing he does is he prays and asks God to prosper his hand in this endeavor. Now remember, it was God that gave him the burden in the first place, and yet Nehemiah still recognizes that he is dependent upon God to enable him to do what he had called him to do. I think sometimes... We look at prayer as, as a small thing, almost as a mechanical thing. Something we should do, but it's not really done with that much care, that much concern. But what we have to realize is that we are completely and totally dependent upon God. I told God a while back, I said, I will never stand behind this pulpit without having a real conversation with you because I realize that you are the vine and I am the branch. And if I'm not connected to you, I don't have anything to offer your people. Did you know the Bible said, except the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. And except the Lord keeps the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. You know, we can work hard and we should work hard. We can invest. We can do everything that is possible for us to do. But at the end of the day, if the Lord doesn't grow this ministry, it's not going to grow. If the Lord doesn't enable us to succeed, we will not succeed. We are completely and totally dependent upon Him. The scripture didn't even say if the Lord helps us build the house, we'll be able to build it. It says unless the Lord does it Himself, it won't get done. The Lord's got to do it. So Nehemiah knew that and he prayed and he said, Lord, give me favor in this endeavor. And then he petitioned the king to allow him to return to Jerusalem. So the question was, how do we do something big when we don't really know how to accomplish it? Number one, you start small. You start small. The reason that most people don't do anything big is because the start stops them. The start stops them because they compare what they can do to what they want to do and what they can do seems so small that they get discouraged and end up doing nothing at all. What we have to remember though is you cannot finish if you don't start. You cannot finish 
if you don't start, regardless of how far you have to go, regardless of what you want to do, regardless of how big your vision or enormous your dream, you cannot finish if you don't start. I want to read Zechariah 4.10 again out of the NLT. It says, do not despise these small beginnings. Don't look at what you're doing and say, this doesn't matter. Don't look at what you're doing and say, this doesn't make a difference. Don't look at what you're doing and despise what you're doing because it doesn't look like what you had in mind or what you expected or what you anticipated. Don't despise small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So the first thing that verse tells us is don't despise small beginnings. Don't be ashamed to go to the gym because you're not in shape. At one point, everybody there wasn't in shape. Don't, don't get discouraged when you're preaching and you're not having the same impact as another minister. I did that all the time when I started. I looked at my grandmother and some of the others that had been preaching for 40 years and I'd been preaching for three months and I was like, Lord, I can't do it like them. I'll never be like that. And I'm not today like that. Because God didn't call me to be them, He called me to be me. And when I compared what I was doing to what they were doing, it was different because it was supposed to be different. But I allowed it to discourage me. Don't lose heart when you start an outreach and nobody wants to help. One thing that mom always told me is if you want to do something, prepare to do it yourself. And if you get some help, great. Don't, don't quit when you start a Bible study and only two people show up. Everyone starts small. Think about it. No one is born big. We're all born small. The birth of a thing is always small in comparison to what it will become. Whether you're talking about people or ministries or businesses or elephants, the birth of a thing is always small in comparison to what it will become. So if you're going to do something big, you have to have the perceptiveness to see something big in something small. You have to be able to see the oak tree in the acorn. You have to be able to see the oak tree in the acorn so that you'll have the motivation to keep going until that small thing matures and becomes bigger than you could have ever imagined it being. Don't let the start stop you because it may start small, but it doesn't stay small if you'll keep going. Don't despise small beginnings because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. You know the Lord knows that one of our biggest hurdles is to just get started. Do you know how many people bring me ideas on a monthly basis that they never start? They get real excited, sit down in my office, this is what I want to do, this is how we're going to save Laurel County, this is how we're going to bring forth a revival in the state of Kentucky, and then I never hear from them again. They have this big dream and they're all excited about it and I never hear about it again. One of the biggest hurdles is to just get started. So the Lord rejoices to see us take our first step. Those of you who have children, you rejoiced 
when they took their first step. You recognize that as a pivotal moment in their life. Why? Because you knew the first step would lead to another and to another. And before you knew it, what they were struggling to do, they would be proficient at. The Lord is the same way. He loves to see you take your first wobbly step toward fulfilling your purpose. Your first wobbly step toward operating in your calling because the Lord knows that your first step will lead to another and to another and what you struggle in now you will be proficient at later. So you just got to be committed to taking that first wobbly step. When Nehemiah needed to do something big he had the faith to start and he wasn't afraid or intimidated by starting small. Nehemiah prayed he asked the king if he could return to Jerusalem. He packed his bags. He traveled three days. He met with the leaders of Israel. The leaders of Israel came together and said, we're behind you. We'll work with you to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. What's interesting is that neither the leaders or Nehemiah knew how they were going to complete this task. They didn't know how they were going to do it. It hadn't been done before in their lives. They didn't have a blueprint that said take this step and this step and this step. They didn't know how they were going to complete this task. What we need to gather from that is you don't need to see a clear path to where you're going to start moving in that direction. You don't need to see a clear path to where you're going to start moving in that direction. You don't have to know how you're going to finish to have the faith to start. You don't have to know how you're going to rebuild the walls to place the first stone. When we started this ministry, I would say we started small, but that is an understatement. We started microscopic. We borrowed $5,000 at 27% interest. We bought a building on a land contract that was falling apart. And we opened up the doors and had a grand total of seven people. And I didn't know how we were going to survive 30 days, let alone nine years. I didn't know how we would ever get to this point. I didn't know how we would ever accomplish what we set out to accomplish, but I knew that we could never do it if we didn't get started. You recognize how many people in church say I'm called to preach, but they don't study? I'm called to sing. Well, you better learn how to sing. I'm called to lead the youth, but you don't have a connection with young people. You cannot finish if you don't start. You've got to start working toward it. You've got to start doing something. You've got to have the faith to start. How do we do something big? We have the faith to start, and number two, this is real important. You have the faith to start, and number two, you take the next step. You may not be able to see into the future, but you can take the next step. You may not have a plan for what's going to happen five years or ten years down the road, but you can plan to be obedient today. You may not know what will happen or what might happen, but you can always take the next step. Nehemiah didn't know how he was going to do what he was trying to do, but he was always willing to take the next step. Nehemiah had a burden. 
He took the next step. The king allowed him to return to Jerusalem. He took the next step. He traveled three days. He took the next step. Surveyed the land, took the next step. Rallied the people, took the next step. Placed the first stone, took the next step. He didn't know how what he was doing would ever lead to what he wanted to do, but he was committed to taking the next step. You don't got to know how you're going to get all the way there. You just have to have the willingness to do what you can in this moment. Let me show you a couple verses. Zechariah chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. It says, But when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? I replied, The God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no shared legal right or historic claim in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah and the leaders come together and, and they're placing stones. They don't even really know what they're doing. You know how you feel stupid when you've never done it before and you're like, I don't know if this is right. Is that rock tilted right? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this is going to work. I'm not sure if I'll succeed at this. But I'm doing the best I can. And so they're just placing rocks and the enemy comes. Because the enemy's always going to come when you're doing what God has instructed you to do. When you're trying to accomplish the vision that God has implanted on your heart and mind. The enemy is always going to send somebody to tell you that you can't do what you're trying to do. When opposition from the enemy showed up and started telling him this might happen and this is probably what's going to come to pass and you're going to be so discouraged and you're never going to be able to do it. Nehemiah just took the next step. He said God will help us succeed. Nehemiah recognized that he couldn't do it in and of himself, but he also recognized all things are possible to them that believe. So he said, God will help us succeed. If God ordains it, he will sustain it. We didn't know how this ministry was going to last, but I, I firmly believed that if God ordained it, he would sustain it that he would send the money somehow, that he would work it out somehow, that he would bring it together somehow. So Nehemiah said, the Lord will help us succeed, and he took the next step. I love how Nehemiah said, we will start rebuilding the walls. He didn't say we'll finish. He didn't say we'll do it, we'll accomplish it. He said, I don't know what's going to happen six months from now or ten years from now, but I know I'm going to do what I can, and what I can do is to start. And so I'm placing this stone, and then I'm going to place the second, and then I'm going to place the third, and I'm going to let God figure out what the result will be. But we're going to start rebuilding the walls. And he took the next step. But the most important thing is that Nehemiah refused to retaliate. The reason that some of you can't do what God has called you to do is because you fight every battle you have an opportunity to fight. And drama is exhausting. Okay. It's entertaining when you watch it on TV, but when you live in it in real life, it is exhausting. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You go home and you fight nine rounds every time you walk in the door, and you're just tired. You're just tired. You're wore out, you're wore down, and you don't have energy for anything else. See, you're bound to lose when you fight every battle, every war that you have an opportunity to fight. What set Nehemiah aside 
as he was unwilling to come down from his post, his position, and fight in a time-consuming, effort-devouring conflict. I don't care what they say. Why do you care so much what they're saying on Facebook? Why do you care so much about whether that person's anonymous post was directed towards you or not? Do you not have better things to invest your time and energy and strength into than just needless conflict? That's why I don't get bent out of shape anymore when, when somebody gets offended over things that don't matter. We really try to shake everybody's hand. We really do. We try. We've got a whole line out there. There's about 15 people. You're going to shake 15 people's hands before you ever get in here. But if you get upset because somebody didn't get to you, I've got more to invest my time and energy and strength into than that. Okay. If you're upset because we didn't sing your song, it's not really about that. If, if you didn't get to do what you wanted to do, then maybe, possibly, it's not about you. Maybe this is all bigger than us. Maybe there's no individual that is greater than this collective body. Maybe sometimes we have to be willing to decrease in ourselves so that the Lord can increase. Maybe, maybe I have to shorten my sermon because the worship service was so good. And you know what? Used to that, that would drive me insane. But it doesn't anymore. Because I realize this is bigger than me. This is bigger than you. It's bigger than all of us. This is about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of God. So we're not going to invest our time into trying to satisfy people that are offended over little things because we've got stuff to build here at Redemption Church and we cannot coddle and pat people on the back when they're upset about things they shouldn't be upset about to begin with. We love you. Jesus died for you. You are valuable to us. But at the same time, we've got something that we have to do and we've got a limited amount of time to finish it and we refuse to invest our time into things that don't matter. Give the Lord some praise. So what happened? What happened? This cupbearer who was really good at testing wine but unsure about how to build a wall, what happened as a result of him having the faith to start and always being willing to take the next step? A cupbearer who had no construction experience at all led a group of people in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, which some say was the greatest construction project ever completed, and they did it all in 52 days. So how do we do something big with our life? You start small, and you take the next step. You start small, and you take the next step. One man said, start by doing what's necessary, then what's possible, and suddenly you'll be doing the impossible. I love this. When I first started out, somebody told me, you will likely overestimate what God will do through your life in the short run, but you will vastly underestimate what God will do through a lifetime of your faithfulness. And I think that's true for all of us. In the short run, you'll probably expect more and get less. 
Because we expect it to happen quick, don't we? When we opened that church in Lily, I was convinced. I'll give it three weeks. Three or four weeks. People are just going to come in droves. Ain't nobody ever had a church like this before. People are going here, and they're just going to come, and they didn't. They didn't come. And, and I kept expecting them to come, but they didn't come. Not initially. In, in the short run, you're going to expect more, and, and you're probably going to get less. But in the long run, you're going to expect less, and you're going to get so much more. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing. You know why the Bible tells us not to be weary in well-doing? Because there's a temptation to be weary in well-doing. Why is there a temptation to be weary in well-doing? Because it doesn't seem like what we're doing is paying off. Because we gave and nothing really happened. We went out of our way to help those people and they won't even speak to us anymore. We tried to minister and nobody got saved. The reason there's such a temptation to be weary in well-doing is because it doesn't pay off initially. That's why the Bible said you have need of patience so that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise thereof. Sometimes there's a big period of time between doing what you're supposed to do and reaping the harvest that God said would come into your life. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. It doesn't say we might or we could or there's a chance of it. It says we shall reap if we faint not. There's only one stipulation. You can't quit. You can't collapse. You can't throw in the towel. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how many tears you shed, no matter how broken you feel, no matter how alone you feel, you got to show up and do what you're supposed to do anyway. There's a major difference between being interested in doing something and being committed to doing something. If you're interested in doing it, you do it when you feel like doing it. But if you're committed, you show up even though you feel like you don't have anything to give. You show up even when you don't feel like you have anything to offer. You show up even when it doesn't feel like it's making a difference. You show up even when it doesn't feel like it's making an impact. That's what it looks like when you're committed. That's what it looks like. There's so many days that I stand behind this pulpit and I feel like I ain't got nothing to offer you all. I don't have nothing to give. It's hard to pour out when you feel drained and empty. It's hard to feel confident that you have something to bless others with when you're confused and frustrated and angry about the situations that are taking place in your life. But a committed minister will do it anyway. Someone who's committed to causing others to worship the Lord. They will sing a song about joy when they are broken and miserable inside and it'll be anointed and you'll walk away encouraged and they'll walk away shattered. But that's what it looks like when you're committed. So he says, if you'll stay committed, I'm going to do what I said I would do in your life. See, every harvest starts small. It starts in seed form. And the only way you'll see the big thing that comes from that small start is if you're always willing to take the next step. So what I'm saying is, is dream big. Start small and take the next step. 
Dream big because we got a big God who can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can think or imagine. You know what that verse means? It means that if we can cultivate it in the recesses of our mind, it's really too small for what God truly wants to do in our life. So dream big, but start small and take the next step. Give the Lord some praise. Come on up to you. I was really encouraged today, before I give the altar call, I was really encouraged today because Kevin didn't know I was going to preach this, obviously. And when he prayed for me, he said, if you'll keep going, you're going to have the dreams that God has given you. You're going to see your dreams come to pass. And that's exciting. If you knew my dreams, you'd be excited too. Woo! Grandiose dreams. Massive dreams. I was, uh, it reminded me of a prophecy I got when I was in Lily, um, it was early on and, and we couldn't get anybody to come to church. And I said, I told the Lord, you know how we do sometimes. I told the Lord, I said, I feel like maybe, maybe I've set myself up for failure. Maybe I'm just ambitious and you really didn't give me this dream. And I said, Lord, I just need you to tell me if, if this is all you have, I'll learn to be content with whatever you want for me. But I need to know. That night a preacher came and we were worshiping and, and the preacher walked up to me and he said, God told me to tell you to expect the best. And in that moment, the Lord was just reassuring me. Keep going. Good things are going to happen. And I know some of you are there right now. You just don't see how you're ever going to get where you want to be. How your life will ever look like what you originally planned for it to look like. Just keep going. Just keep going. Because if you always take the next step, you're going to reach your destination. Do you believe that? Amen. So if you're here today and you're lost, you're going in the wrong direction. And what I want to do today is challenge you to change directions. The biblical word for it is repent. Did you know that repentance is not remorse? It's not feeling bad about what you did. Repentance means to change directions. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed today's message. For more great messages, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music and leave us a rating and review while you're there. For more information, please visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash redemption ky.